You're listening to The Nancy Gaines Show. The goal of this podcast is to help business owners be successful and gain the advantage. Nancy has helped some of today's top Fortune 500 companies across a wide spectrum of industries work through their toughest challenges. She can help you too. So if you can't find the solutions you need, there are no more books to read or workshops to attend. The Nancy Gaines Show can be the difference between your success and failure. And now your host, Nancy Gaines. Hi, this is Nancy Gaines, and welcome to The Nancy Gaines Show, where we provide actionable ideas for entrepreneurs to grow their business and be even more productive. The focus of today's podcast is all about why digital marketing helps attract clients you love. And I'm super excited to have a very special guest with me, Trish Saman. Let me tell you all about her. She's a fractional CMO, marketing strategist, and owner of Go Beyond SEO, who works with small business owners to help them find the clarity they need to develop an effective marketing strategy. She uses Facebook ads, Google AdWords, pay-per-click, and SEO. She knows when businesses are in service to their customers that they also serve themselves. And she believes in taking a customer-centric approach when looking to share your company's message and improve business in general. She's been quoted in Inc. and BizJournals.com. And in her spare time, she enjoys singing, painting, writing poetry and fiction, and hanging out with her family. She definitely knows marketing, but don't ask her for dance lessons. Welcome, Trish. Thanks for sharing part of your day. <laughs> but I'll just add to that introduction. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, appreciate your time, and I love the fact that we're on the show. It's awesome. Yeah, this is going to be a good podcast. I took that off your website. Don't ask for dance lessons. Do you, no, I'm terrible. Oh, gosh. My husband is, too, which is why I think we match, because I think between the, our, between the two of us, we have four left feet, which we just spin in circles. It's awful. It's terrible. Terrible dancers. Is it the music? You can't hear the beat? Because my husband can't hear the beat. I'm like, can't you hear the beat? It's like right there. He's like, nope, I don't hear it. So it's, not, it's funny. I love music and music is not my issue. It's just, I don't have the physical acumen to, to stay on, on task when it comes to the beat. And my, my husband <laughs> loves music too, but I'm, I'm a little more musically adept than he is, but uh, it's not so much the beat. It's just our feet where we just can't keep up. It's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's pure comedy. It really is. You should have seen us at our wedding. It was so, so funny because our, our wedding song was only about 90 seconds long because we didn't want to torment Yes, by watching us. That's terrible. <laughs> that it's is terrible. awesome. Well, I love when people just focus on their strengths because that's it's just so much easier than trying to be a jack of all trades. So let me yeah, ask you, right. one of your strengths is copywriting, and I love the name and the mission of your company, Go Beyond. Um, Thank you. Is that, yeah, Go Beyond Expectations, Go Beyond Comfort yep. Zones, go, go Beyond Fears. How did you come up with that? So it was actually, and I'll paraphrase a quote, but it talks about, you know, not just having your fears and your goals, but going beyond them. So part of the reason why we decided to do that was when we first started our company, which was 10 years ago, there were lots of, it was a bit of a cash grab to kind of go for SEO because everybody knew that they needed, but weren't really sure how to go about doing it. And my previous career was in hospitality. So, and I was, you know, five-star certified, five-diamond certified, the whole nine. So, you know, had uh, Ritz-Carlton training and this kind of thing. And one of the things that's most important about that level of hospitality is the people who work in hospitality are empowered to do the very best that they can to offer an excellent experience to the guests who are engaging with the business or the hotel or the restaurant or whatever it is. 
Well, we took that philosophy and added it to our digital marketing space because we knew that people were coming to SEO from a place of lack of understanding, some ignorance, some maybe they've been burned. So we transposed our philosophy around hospitality and doing the right thing from a customer service standpoint and transposed it over to digital marketing and tried to put, I think effectively did, put our customers at ease explained enough so they knew what we were going to be doing and what kind of outcome they were going to get. And then just managing those expectations, but more than managing, kind of setting the expectations as well. So that's where the go beyond component of it. It wasn't just go beyond SEOs, go beyond your limits, go beyond your expectations. And it was a, it was a very conscious choice to start the name of our company with a verb. <laughs> so um, that's yeah, that's brilliant. where it came from. Yeah, that is brilliant. I have a hospitality background. I came up with Hyatt Hotels and Marriott, so Ritz training is phenomenal. You're really yeah, fortunate you got to do that. Yeah, it was it was it was intense. You know, it wasn't exactly boot camp, but they did give you the opportunity to really exercise the consideration muscle. That's one thing that a lot of times happens in business. People are not always considerate of where the other person is coming from. What you know, walk a mile in their shoes. And when you can put yourself in someone else's shoes and get glean some understanding of where they're coming from, you can effectively help them and serve them and, and build a relationship. So Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of relationships, I notice there's a lot of people with the same last name in your company. I'm guessing they're yeah. related to you. <laughs> they are. That's it. It was just a coincidence, such an odd last name to have everybody. Yeah, so my business partner is my husband, Brian, and one of our co-founders, who's Billy, is my brother-in-law. It's Brian's brother. So yes, not everybody who works for us is related to me, but the three of us did start the business together. Billy was living at our house at the time. Uh, he was in between. He was kind of in between the place where he was living and, and where he now lives. And we were just kind of batting around some ideas. We had all worked together previously in other jobs in hospitality, and we'd all worked together. So we knew the strengths of one another. And then we just started chatting and saying, you know what, why don't we, why don't we start this company? We have the skill, we have these abilities, and all of our skills were in different arenas. So it seemed to make the most sense, so we did. Yeah, it was That's a very awesome. weird time, too, because 10 years ago was also in the middle of the recession. So it was a very weird time to start a company, but, but we did, and we succeeded, so it was great. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of relational situations, but, you know, it works out for the best. That's awesome. So what's the best part of working with family, and what can be kind of challenging at times? So the best part of working with family is that you already have an inside line onto what everybody is doing and what their skills are. And you don't really have to explain when something goes wrong privately because everybody kind of knows already. So, you know, unfortunately, when we've lost family members, everybody is all kind of in the same boat. So it's a, it's a mixed bag. On the one hand, everybody understands. And on the other hand, everybody's also got to go to the funeral. So that's the downside of having everybody in the same spot is that when, in, when something big like that comes up, a funeral or a wedding or the need to travel out of town or something like that, we have to kind of balance who's running the business. Now, fortunately, the nature of what we do, to some degree, can run itself. You know, you can take a Friday or long weekend and nobody's dying on the operating table. Nothing we do is significantly emergent in the truest sense of the word. So the good part is that we have one another's back. We're aware of one another's strengths and weaknesses and try to accommodate accordingly. And we know when something weird happens privately, everybody's kind of aware of what's going on and you can kind of manage accordingly. Conversely, 
everybody knows what's going on with one another. So that can, it can, you know, cross lines a little bit, but we're very respectful of one another and we have very clear boundaries with one another. And that's been, that's been huge without them. I think we have a lot more contention within our company, but, but we don't. And like I said, we had worked together before, so we had already tested the waters. We knew, we knew what the, you know, what the hot spots were going to be and how to avoid them. So, which was That's good. That's so cool. Well, good for yeah. you. I'm glad you're making that work. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. It's so been let me great. ask you, I've had companies that have been products and I've also had companies that have been services and services is so much hard to market. Why do you like to market services so much? What's the, the trick to that? So a couple of things. One, when marketing services, there tends to be a consistency and it's a bit high touch. The downside is, is that it's a little hard to package a service. That's why oftentimes with services, you'll see things like bundles because they're trying to give and even call it a bundle because they're trying to give like that hard framework that a product naturally comes with. But what's great for the kind of work that I do is that oftentimes it takes a few months for the work that we do to be consistently profitable for services. But after that, they're in the black and so are we. With a product, it becomes a little bit harder because marketing the product, every time you make a sale, you start from square one. You have to make another sale. You have to make another sale. You have to make another sale. With regards to services, a lot of the time, the service tends, there can be a repeatable process to it. So, for example, if you are, let's say, an exterminator, or maybe you're a CPA, or maybe you're a window washer, or something along those lines, a lot of times what you can do is build a consistent relationship where you have repeatable services. Whereas with products, a lot of times it can be a bit of a one-off. That's part of the reason why I think products love the subscription model too. Like if you're, if it's a consistent product that you use, let's say, like I just just recently signed up for a detergent company called Drop and I don't work for them. There's no, I'm not, you know, I have no relationship with them other than to say there's a subscription model and it reduces packaging, which matters to me. You know, it's environmentally friendly. The nature of the soap is environmentally friendly and the packaging is very limited. So I'm on a subscription with them and I can adjust that subscription. So that's why a lot of times products will actually jump to a subscription model. So they get that consistent income. Same thing with services. That's part of the reason why I like marketing for services is because they can see a windfall over the long run very easily. So it's, it's fun for me. I like the consistency of it. Yeah, I like that too. You do some really unique things in your company. One of them is month-to-month pricing. Um, I bet that keeps you on top of your game because you always have to deliver results. What made you go with that? Yeah, tell us more about that. That's interesting. Yeah, so a couple of things. One, it's uncommon in my industry to have month-to-month pricing. It does happen, but it's not it's not that common. Part of the reason why we opted to do that is for what you just illustrated, which is the onus is on me and my company to deliver and perform. So if we're staying consistent with the work that we're doing and our clients are getting consistent results, then they continue. So we kept, for a while, we did have like 12 month programs and, you know, you have to sign. And it always became a bit of an issue if there was somebody that needed to leave for any reason, whether they didn't like the way I parted my hair and they were over me, which happened once in a while happened. But, or their business took a turn and they need to go in another direction or they got bought out by another company, which is probably where most of our attrition comes from is when a company gets acquired by another company. So having that month to month means that if you want to break up with us, we're not going to put you through a long divorce. It's not interesting to me. I don't like working with people who don't want to work with me. I don't really like being around people who don't want to be around me. I'm like, no problem. Like, we'll we'll end it right here. If you want to work it out, we can. But I find that in addition to making it easier 
for them to break up with us, it takes a lot of the pressure off during the purchase process. So the onboarding becomes, it's a lower barrier to entry. They're faster to work with us if they know that they can just break up the relationship at any time. And when I position yeah. it in such a way where I say, listen, the onus is on us. Responsibility is on us to do the, to do the right thing. And usually all I really need is about 30 to 60 days to know if what we're doing is really going to work for them. And we've gotten very good at figuring out which companies work best with us and which ones might not be an exact fit. And that was a, that was a lesson in and of itself to not accept every piece of business that comes your way, that to really get very specific about, you know, working with clients that are a great fit. I think we all had to do that, figure out who's our, our favorite people and start saying no, which is hard in the early stages of your business because you're Absolutely. just like, I just need a sale. So I also like that you offer client exclusivity. Yes. Can you share a little bit more about that? That's also unique. It is. That one's actually a big one. So the, the keyword exclusivity or client exclusivity that we offer is typically regionally based. Because a lot of our clients, you know, if I have a, a family law attorney here in North Carolina, which is where I live, and then I have a family law attorney in, say, Nebraska, they're not competing with one another. It's really, really not a big deal. If I have a family law attorney in Charlotte, which is the city I live in, and I have one in Raleigh, which is about a three-hour drive, most of the time those two law firms are not competing with one another. But if I have competitors in the city of Charlotte and we're trying to get them the best search results possible, meaning that they're keywords are ranking on the first page for family law or family law attorney or divorce attorney. And we're doing a pay-per-click campaign for them, which means that they're going to be competing with other law firms for, you know, ads, ad space, ad costs, all that kind of stuff. It feels unethical and counterintuitive to have two competing firms in the same space, in the same city, competing for the same, you know, spot on the internet, and then also being run by the same company. It's basically like pitting my children against one another. Why would I do that? So I'm under no legal obligation to do that, but I'm more, it's more of an ethical one. Oh, I think that's so, wonderful. How do other agencies that, I don't want to say they're unethical, but haven't thought this through, how do they do, what do they do? I don't do think they just say no. No, I, I think that they, they don't offer exclusivity. And I know that a lot of times, you know, to the victor go the spoils. If you have two clients and one client spending more money, they get better results. And there's yeah, to some tough. degree, it is tough. Now, to some degree, that's more of a measure of Google because if you're, and I say Google kind of as a general with regards to pay-per-click, Google AdWords or Google Ads, Facebook, same thing. The more, typically, the more money you spend, the more exposure you're going to get. Now, that's when you're paying directly to Google Ads or directly to Facebook or whatever the pay-per-click medium is that you're working with. The fees that they pay to us are typically within the same scope. Really doesn't matter how much they're spending simply because that's money, the actual spend is not going to us. It's going to Google or Facebook. And let me just back up what I mean by spend because some of your listeners may not know what I mean. Whenever you see an ad that pops up on Google after a search, if you click on the ad, that ad will cost whatever it costs depending on the industry it's in, how long it's been running. So let's say the ad is $2, but you want to consistently run ads you have a reservoir of money that's sitting in a Google account that is basically being drawn from. And it's the best way I can explain it so that, you know, if you want to get 100 ads that month, you better have $200 in there so that all 100 ads at $2 an ad can be seen. Our fee, like what you would charge, what we would charge to manage that account for you doesn't typically change. So if you have one client that's spending more, then, you know, they, they're going to get more favorability you're going to try to charge them more. There's lots of reasons 
to do it. And honestly, those businesses scale a little faster than mine does because we offer exclusivity. That one scales a bit more, but we're also very small. Some of our competitors are actually very large. They have teams that are larger than my entire team for just sales. So it's a, right. you know, it's a different, it's a bit more of a boutique feel. Like we're a little more, you know, boutique shopping, a little less, you know, Nordstrom, if that makes sense. You know, that's, we're, we're offering a very customized package to our clients. And you bring up a really good point. How do people, how do they know which digital marketing agency is best for them? Do you have some tips on hiring the best digital marketing agency? Yeah, I do. So one, and the, the first one is go with your gut. And I know that doesn't sound like quantifiable and it's not terribly efficient, but I will say that the times that I've ever tried to hire a vendor or somebody that's ever hired me, if I didn't feel like they trusted me, it's a bad fit from the beginning. You have to know that you have to believe me. If, if you don't believe me, I can't, I can't work with you. And if you don't believe me, maybe there's a reason, maybe there's something about me that you don't like to work with. You're coming to the table right off the bat with a bad level of contention. After that, though, if you want to get to more of the empirical things to look for, ask them about their processes and if they have a consistent one. One of the things that's most a big, a huge red flag, actually, whenever I'm hiring a vendor or I'm being hired, is if your vendor is confusing you, they are losing you. They need to come to the table with a consistent process. So let's say you're, you know, John Q. Public and you have a business and you sell whatever it is. You sell roofing services where you go and you're going to help people's, you know, fix people's roof after a hailstorm. And you go and you speak to a digital marketing firm like mine. One of the first things I would ask them is, are you working with any other roofing companies? Do you have any experience with roofing companies or home services? Like ask how much information they have around the industry at all and then you know glean your answer from their answer and then the second thing i would ask is what does an onboarding process look like what does an engagement with your company look like and if they give you kind of well sometimes we do this and then like it depends on this if they're giving you some kind of wayward you know fly-by-night answer you probably don't want to work with them either because the nature of this work requires a process i'm a firm believer that process is poetry and if you can actually put forth an appropriate process, then you're going to have consistent results and your clients are going to be very happy. So I would look for those few things right off the bat. And then I would ask them how much experience they have in ad copy and writing. Because especially for pay-per-click, you're going to need to have the ads written in a certain way that actually convert. And you want your landing pages to convert as well. So I don't want to get in the weeds too much. But if somebody's hiring a digital marketing firm, you want to ask about, you know, you know, trust your gut, see if you actually enjoy working with the person. And then ask them how much experience they have in your industry or a similar industry and, and go in that direction. And then ask them what their processes look like, what an engagement might look like, how often they charge, what the billing, every process around it, I would ask that. Because with, in the absence of that, somebody in my industry will not, will not be worth hiring, in my opinion. Those are great tips. And I love the word process and systems because that's exactly how I help my clients. Systems are repeatable, and you get the predictable results over and over instead yep. of being willy-nilly and hoping it's going to work. You also have a process on called predictable lead systems. What is that, and how does that work? So predictable lead system is it's a trademark of ours, which is essentially a one-two punch to generate, obviously, predictable leads for your company. So what that looks like is essentially, obviously I'm an SEO and a pay-per-click expert and there's several different kinds of pay-per-click available. 
Well, the predictable lead system basically is a process by which we speak to different customers, get a sense of what it is that they're trying to do, what their goals are, and how predictable they need their leads to be. So a lot of times you can look at leads almost like a faucet. You can turn it on, you can turn it off, you can slow it down. Now, everybody wants the fire hose approach. And they're like, give me all the leads I can handle it. And I'm telling you now, from an efficiency standpoint, from a scalability standpoint, from a process standpoint, it is the dead last thing to do. Most companies, just like most human beings, cannot handle a fire hose. Literally, when a fire hose is turned all the way on, most human beings will get knocked over by it. And they will spray water everywhere. It's inefficient. You're wasting water. You look like a fool. And nobody's going to trust you with a fire hose ever again. That said, when you actually have the predictable lead system, we sit down and say, okay, well, let's look at your internal processes. How many leads can you actually handle? Okay, so you can handle X amount of leads. Now let's reverse engineer which of those leads do you want? Because just getting a bunch of different leads that are a poor fit are really not going to help you scale. You think they are. You think taking on clients who are a poor fit but they have all kinds of money is going to help you scale. It's not. A lot of times, those businesses are actually coming to you and they're eating up all of your time. They're causing tremendous stress in the office and they're a poor fit. And you can't repeat that high-maintenance client. You can't have 25 high-maintenance clients because then you'll never get any more or you're not really doing them a good service. So the predictable lead system is a system by which we kind of, it's, it's funny because it does vary a little bit by customer, but we put you through our kind of screening process that says, all right, well, what can we do? How many leads can we bring you? Can we actually meet the need of how many leads you want? Or are the amount of leads that you need so few that it may not make sense for you to hire us? And we narrow down our scope and then set up a process where you're getting consistent SEO results and you're also getting leads through pay-per-click. And there's several different kinds of pay-per-click that we use. Typically, it fits inside of Google Ads or inside of Facebook Ads. Really just depends on where your leads are and how best they can find you. That is great advice. And one thing I ask clients that I work with is if your clients, you know, 10x tomorrow, what would break in your company? Because I want them to think ahead. You can sure. get a lead. You, yeah, you can take, say you want customers, but what is not going to be very good for these? Do you even have an onboarding system? Do you have a payment management system? Like silly things that can really break if you're drinking from that fire hose. That's awesome. Right. Right. We've actually run into that, and there's plenty of clients that have had that, you know, I'd love to punt to you and what you do simply because they come to us with this problem, and they think that the problem is that they're not getting enough leads. And I'm like, no, sweetie, you're not even getting to your leads. Like, your process <laughs> has got you so in the weeds that they're calling you, and you're not calling them back in three days. They're dead. They're gone. They are not a lead anymore. They are right. dying on the vine. And when really, and not only that, or you're taking on every lead that comes this way without having an appropriate filtration process. And it really becomes uh, counterintuitive for us to work with a company that doesn't have an appropriate onboarding system for new leads because we'll bring them great leads and then they can't lock them down and we don't look like we're doing our job. So right. I, I feel like what you do and what I do actually works in concert for that efficiency and scalability and that beautiful, delicious kind of growth where it's customer delight after customer delight and, you know, a person's happy and the business is growing and everybody loves you and you're ready to be on the cover of Forbes, but you're dealing with these clients on the side that are maybe not a good fit for you or you're taking on too many that are 
they're just not, they're just not the right, they're just not at the right time or the right fit, or you've turned on the fire hose and everybody's washed out. So I love analogies if you haven't caught that yet. Yeah, you are very good with words for sure. And speaking of customer delight, I know one of your passion is helping teach people how to find clients that they love and they love them back. Tell us more about that. Yeah, that's actually my second gig. I'm, I've created a course, and I will be launching it soon, and I'm very excited about it, and it's called Get More Clients You Love. And the idea behind it is not unlike what I've been talking about for a moment here, it's not just the nuts and bolts of lead generation, which I do cover in the course, like which mediums do I choose and what should I say on those mediums, but also coming to the table with who do I really want and you know, one of the things I think a lot of customers don't realize is that they, they price themselves too low and then wonder why they have low-level clients. And I, I try to teach people to get their head right and have the right mindset for attracting clients they love and then defining, almost like building them like a professional match profile. Like, all right, let's build a match profile for clients that you actually love, that's ones that are a good fit. Because fit is an interesting word. You know, if jeans can fit, you can have something that's fit for a king. You know, there's all different ways to use the word fit. And in business, oftentimes, when we say, oh, well, this person's a good fit, typically it's tied to budget, and that, that's sort of what we do. But it isn't just that. You know, a lot of times fit can be tied to, are they a philosophical fit? You know, if I'm hiring you and you're a CPA, do I work in QuickBooks? Because if you do, you might need me to, and that's a bad fit. And I think people forget that those things need to be overcome or addressed to have good fit. And that's why I named the, the course Get More Clients You Love because when I started to look at my own client base and say, all right, which ones were the most consistent ones that I loved? They loved me. I loved talking to them. When they called me, I'm like, ooh, what is, you know, I have one client that was kind of my avatar. I'm like, what does Dave want? What can I do for Dave today? Whereas I had plenty of undaves in my repertoire for a minute there. And it wasn't that they were necessarily bad people, but whenever there's misalignment, you can you run into poor relationships and it doesn't work for anybody. So I started to exhausting. really re- oh, it's so exhausting and it's costly because you're you know they're unhappy. They're you're not doing them anything. You're doing a disservice to them if they're a poor fit, and you're not doing anything for your business. Your staff is freaking out. They don't want to answer the phone when the undates call. You know, there's all kinds of you know multifaceted reasons why you have to be fastidious about fit, which is why the course I've created does one attracts the super fit but it also actually attracts them in droves because i actually do know how to do lead generation so it's not again the fire hose but it's much more glass slipper approach you know everybody yeah so it's it's pretty cool it's you know i think that obviously it's a bit more tied to service-based businesses there are some product-based businesses where it would work and in most cases it's the best kind of course for somebody who's been in business for a little bit if you've been in business for a month, you might want to call me in six months. You know, get get something. Because like you said earlier in this in this podcast, you know, in the beginning, you know, you kind of have to take people in the beginning. You know, you have to kind of do what you can in the beginning. But going forward, you really want to start narrowing the scope as to who's the best fit for you and who can you best serve. Oh, I totally went through that. I've, I realized I'm better with people that are more established in their business and know where they want to go. And they're just kind of stuck getting there versus newbies that are still figuring this out because I just don't serve them as well, and it's exhausting for me. It doesn't I feel agree. filling. <laughs> yeah, all. I completely agree. 
I completely agree. And there's nothing wrong with being a startup. I love a startup. I, I've started up a couple of companies. I, I get it. And I respect the passion. And I'm so happy to, you know, have consults with people like that. But when it comes to actually implementing a business or hiring vendors, you need a little bit of experience underneath your belt before you can have effective relationships with people. So at, true. With vendors. Yeah. Yep. So true. So, Trish, are you ready for the signature question everybody gets on the show? Sure. I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. So excited. All right. Okay. Here's the signature question. As you and I talked about before we got on this podcast, I am all about getting people time back in their life. So if you had an extra hour every day, 25 hours every day of your life, what would you do with your extra hour? What would I do with my extra hour? I think my, I think my answer is going to come across a bit cliche, but the truth is I'm in a stage of life where my children are both in the last year of their school. So one's last year of elementary school, one's last year of middle school. And I can see it. I can feel the momentum coming. And with this stage of life comes ukulele lessons and fencing lessons and math tutoring and baseball and nieces and nephews and grandparents and, you know, PTA meetings, and I serve on several boards and running two companies. So the extra hour can would be best utilized in holding on to those those moments while they're still at the age that they're in, like where they are right now, because there is a time not too far from now where those extra hours are going to be devoted to their own family. And I I would be happy for them to do that. I would I want that success in, in life and love for them as well. But I, I would hold on to those extra moments with them now. So again, nothing to do with business, nothing to do with efficiencies, just more spend time with them. That's a really popular answer, actually. People I'm sure. Pick family, they pick exercise. Reading has been pretty popular. Uh, once in a while, I get somebody who wants to spend even more time in their business, but it's family and, and even self-care is a big one. Yep. And honestly, a lot of those things debate. I am an active reader. I, I do exercise. I do get massages on a regular basis and all of those things, but I, I will and I realize it's a bit cliche, but that time, childhood is a very, it's very fast. I think I heard somebody say once that the days are long, but the years are short. And it's true because you, your days feel long when you're not doing what's in your heart and what's, what's passionate for you, which is why the work that you do is so unbelievably incredible and important because you do manufacture time for people, which is just fabulous. And if they have more time, if I have more time, that's how I, that's how I spend it. Because that's really the most important of all of them. That is so cool. And thank you for the little shout out because I am. It's true, I do like to I do like to manufacture time. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's true, though, and it's necessary, and it's something we all need and very rarely get. So, you know, you, you do important work there. You definitely do. I appreciate that. Hey, you gave some really good resources, your new course that's coming out, your website. Can you share what those are so people know how to find you and connect? Sure. I actually have a freebie if somebody wants to kind of dabble their toe in, you know, getting, you know, seven simple steps to get more clients you love. So you're welcome to grab that, which is at Trish Saman. And I'll have to spell my last name because it's always, it's always fun. And my last name looks kind of funny, but it's Trish, which is T-R-I-S-H, Saman, S-A-E-M-A-N-N, TrishSaman.com forward slash seven. And that's spelled out, S-E-V-E-N. So that's Trish Saman, T-R-I-S-H-S-A-E-M-A-N-N.com forward slash seven. Or you can just check out my website, which is getmoreclientsyoulove.com. And there will be a course 
soon, very soon. I'm in the process of putting it together for in the launch. I use Kajabi for that. I'm in the process of putting all that together, and I will be launching that soon, very soon. So you're welcome to check awesome. that out as well. So yeah, yeah. I will put those in the show notes for sure. And some the report's called Seven Simple. What was the rest of it? Yes, it's called Seven Simple Steps to Getting More Clients You Love, and that's just a little little freebie, little freebie for everybody so yeah awesome and if people are listening to you and they're like i also need her help with some seo and marketing stuff what's the website for your company that you want listed sure it's go beyond seo so stands for search engine optimization go beyond seo all one word dot com perfect i will add that as well trish this has been amazing is there anything else you want to add that i didn't even think to ask you the one thing i will say is that for any of the entrepreneurs that are out there and you're focused on your efficiency and you're focused on your seo and you're focused on all of your business stuff just remember that entrepreneurship is a lonely endeavor and stay connected you know pay attention to you know, Nancy's podcast and everybody on her social media because entrepreneurship is a lonely endeavor. And anytime you can connect with people on social media, it makes it feel a lot less lonely. And that's what I, that's why I've leveraged social media so much in my business as well. So I would say stick together out there because it is, it can be tough, but don't worry, we'll all get through it. Great advice. Trish, thanks again for taking time to be on the show and sharing all of your knowledge and inspiration you provided lots of great stuff. And listeners, I rolled out a new program for business owners looking to systemize their companies in 30 days or less. If you're feeling overwhelmed and overworked with all your new clients that you love, this program's for you. We work side-by-side side to actually get the systems created so you leave with work completed, not more stuff on your to-do list. Just go to nancygains.com to learn more. And if you love this show, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. And until next time, Go out and gain the advantage. You've been listening to The Nancy Gaines Show, where you can gain the advantage. To schedule a VIP strategy day or speed consulting session with Nancy, connect with her on her website, nancygaines.com. That's nancy, G-A-I-N-E-S, dot com. On Twitter, Nancy L. Gaines. And on LinkedIn, Nancy Gaines. Be sure to check back on Nancy's website for new episodes. Until next time, you've been listening to The Nancy Gaines Show. Go out and gain the advantage.